0: Welcome to episode 58 of the Grip Strip Podcast, the episode which will have Phil melt down about multiple things that are going on here, not only in motorsports, but the sports world. And Josh will go and get to celebrate the fact that he'll have a quarterback for his football team for the first time in their entire existence. Uh, my name is Philip Matthew. I'm your host. and I'm with my co-host, Josh Affine. What's good, brother?
1: Hey, I am doing great, Phil. Um, yeah, I had a great weekend in st petersburg it was a awesome time hanging out with friends and seeing the IndyCar race first ever IndyCar race i've ever seen uh so it was a lot different experience than what i've seen in the past with the stock cars but uh really enjoyed it and then you know of course we've got to talk about the nfl draft coming up in tomorrow night uh on thursday and uh, the jacksonville jaguars i'm basically going to be selecting trevor lawrence it's uh finally it's it's time we're going to have yeah. a true franchise quarterback, so it's uh, what a time to be in. So glad to be able to talk about it with you here.
0: Yep, we're going to talk about the draft. We'll talk about all the events of last week, which uh, involved Colton Herta, um opening a can on the entire field at St. Pete the whole entire weekend, and Josh was able to be there, talk about him getting trashed um, and other stuff. We'll talk about NASCAR at Talladega where um, they continue on their track to try to kill somebody um, between the nonsense with Joey Logano getting flipped over and all the other stupid wrecks. And then the unfortunate incident in the Arca um, race, which saw Derek Lancaster get seriously hurt. And I, uh, our thoughts and prayers are out to him, his wife, and family in this difficult time because of the idiocy that is racing at Talladega um and daytona and he basically was made into um collateral damage and I say well it's dangerous well it's you don't sign up to go and get uh like mangled uh, like the way that he did there um and the poor um response and some of the other things that came up during that whole entire deal though the way it was presented to with the horrible coverage didn't help um we'll go into nascar we'll talk about brad Keselowski going and beating that fucking piece of shit michael mcdowell and that other inbred william byron i was gonna lose my twitter if, if michael mcdowell had ran him over or beat him i was probably not gonna have a twitter handle anymore i was gonna lose my shit um if if that had happened uh so I, and nobody reads my twitter anyways but i still have it so that's good uh brad won um he's still a moron but he's a great race car driver and I say that as a fan. Uh, Jeb Burton, good old boy, uh, got real emotional. They cut that race short. Uh, they probably should run it before the ARCA race. Uh, maybe Derek Lancaster wouldn't have gotten hurt because uh, they would to cut it off because nobody gives a fuck about ARCA. Um, Jeb Burton gets his first win. Collegue Racing gets yet another plate win. Um, earlier today, uh, they announced that they're going to be – Matt Collegue has said he's going to run at least one cup car next year. So um, that'll be a positive. It'll be one less piece of trash from either Rick Ware or um, the double zero team or whatever these garbage, the garbage trucks that they have out there, Um, like Joey Gase embarrassing the 28 number and wrecking like 15 times or whatever, spinning out, wrecking, hitting everything but the lottery I mean, Quinhoff going and cutting off I don't know how many people to get into the pits and then cutting a tire and hitting the wall because he's Quinhoff. I mean, that's, and then we were talking about this on Talking in Circles, if you want to listen to that. Clayton Caldwell, Spencer Cowan, and myself um, got into a lot of great topics about what took place this past weekend, including the whole approval process and how their selective enforcement and consistently inconsistent um, methodologies show how stupid they are when Quinn Huff and Joey Gase, who couldn't drive a hot nail through snow, are approved. And Jennifer Joe, who she can't either. But the fact of that, she can't get a ride. But Matt Mills, who causes a caution at every Xfinity race, I swear for like the last year plus, is going to be in a cup car on Sunday uh, because they're short. They have a short field. So, pathetic. Uh, we'll get into uh, the roundup with the farcical, totally farcical, uh, NASCAR All Star format by Gooseage, uh, because only he could come up with a format that was even more ridiculous and useless than the format that we've had for I don't know how many damn formats we've had at the All Star race, and they all suck. So now you have a shitty format, one of the worst tra- race tracks on earth, and they'll if they get a, they'll get like a five rating or some crap like that because it'll be in the middle. I don't know. It's a Saturday night, uh, so they might actually get a double digit rating. I don't know. I don't know if they get double-digit ratings on cable, but whatever. It's Texas Motor Speedway, so it's a fucking dump. They should fill it with water, fill it with, like, concrete. The way that Stone Cold well, the way Stone Cold uh, used up one of Vince McMahon's Corvettes and put cement in it and just destroyed it, that's what they need to do to just, like, fill that thing up, make it into, like, a jail, because it basically should be, it's basically a dump. Nothing about it is worthwhile. It's just an eyesore. And it never, you never, I mean, I'd want somebody to tell me a good race that's happened at Texas Motor Speedway. That was a NASCAR race. Um, there, you can't. Um, there's really can't. What? Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm trying. I'm actually trying hard here and I'm going off on a tangent here. Was it Matt Kenseth and, and Jeff Burton had that battle at the end of the 2007 spring race? Okay. I mean, one, that's one. Yeah. That's one. Tony Stewart. No, that wasn't even a good race. He just kicked everybody's ass. I just like it because he won any of the so, races yeah, he won. Good. I could that that. But 2011, when he basically was part of taking Carl Edwards soul, um, and basically giving away his soul to go and win that championship. So, okay. So two races out of like, I don't know, 60 or whatever the hell they've had there in that, sh- in that shithole. That's not a very good, uh, number, but the guy gets a lot of, uh, PR, um, get in the f1 sprint race format which is convoluted but you know we'll discuss that turkey has replaced the canadian grand prix for a second year in a row i believe uh we'll see if if montreal will be back on the schedule uh, it's going to be hard two years without formula one I'll be, albeit montreal did not have formula one for a period of time uh, in the last decade past decade or so so They might come back because it's such a popular event and a great circuit and venue for Formula One in general. um, Probably going to be a precursor to um, NASCAR canceling their truck race at Mossport. Um, We'll see what happens with the Indy Toronto. Um, I think that's going to be the last holdout. I think they'll try to get that race off because that's such a big deal there um, for tourism and the whole bit. I'll talk about Formula E and how everybody ran out of electricity, um, which is beautiful. talks about how efficient the series is with all the money and all the people they have. And three cars um, had enough battery life to be legal to go and actually finish the race. So the whole entire podium and everything changed because there's only three cars that have power out of 24. So congratulations to them on that. And uh, they are on a permanent circuit, too, which might have probably helped in that process because minus the stupid gimmick chicanes and the other crap and, you know, all the other stuff that they do. But yeah, I think that part of was part of it. And then we'll get into the WRC. That's all in the roundup. Talk about this weekend's races at Portimao for formula one Indy car at Texas for a double header where there might be about 15 passes, I think period. And the combination of two races, uh, because of how bad it is at, at Texas motor speedway, especially now that, they have the grip strip um, on the high line, so you can't even run up there. Uh, you have MotoGP. You have MotoGP at Jerez You have uh, MotoE will actually be running, too. Uh, MotoGP, Moto2, and MotoE, and Moto3. So the full s- slate there. Uh, we'll talk about WEC starting their season at Spa-Francorchamps in Belgium. And uh, we'll also get into the uh, NASCAR at Texas or Kansas, another shithole, sorry, Um, both cup and trucks. And then we'll get into the draft before we uh, sign off for tonight. We'll get a two for one special. So if you actually decided to see if we were both right or wrong on anything we said last week, um, you can listen to that episode 57 and listen to this. Um, You can have josh celebrate um now that he has a quarterback and a guy a coach at least until he has health problems again um once he does something illegal since that's that urban myers thing he's basically what's that what's that televangelist guy who who's in houston um what the hell is his name osteen
1: yeah, he's joel like the joel osteen.
0: he's the joel osteen of, of of football i think he literally <laughs> He's a false prophet and he goes and he's this like magician or whatever when things are right. But then the minute something deviates off the line, all of a sudden, oh man, I have health problems again. Yeah. Now I have health problems too, but I, I'm more, a little more stable in my job situation. I just haven't made a hell of a lot of money or have all those national championships, but whatever, fuck them. Uh, all right. So we'll go to St. Pete. You were there. What, what tell us about what was like the atmosphere seeing the, the uh, road to indy everything about saint pete because it's one of the most popular races on the calendar too
1: yeah it is a very popular race and you know throughout the weekend i mean going throughout saint pete like i mean it's a beautiful town first of all a uh, b- beautiful city i mean the the views are there like if you have a rooftop view um, of the city it's a great view. Um, if you live like right next to the racetrack and you're able to see it either from your rooftop or from your, know, your balcony, I mean, that's a, that's a good view. Uh, you're able to see the racetrack. I mean, you probably make a lot of money to be able to live like that too, but, um, the, the race itself, I mean, I just went on uh Sunday and I mean, I made it right in time to watch, um, IndyCar, uh, up, And I was uh, kind of sitting there and, uh, turned seven, eight, nine. And, pioneer park area. Um, when the cars first came out, I mean, that was what a sound, uh, the different sound than what I'm used to when going to the rate NASCAR races and the, uh, Buzzing sound, I guess. You know, it's almost kind of like a bunch of bees buzzing, I guess, with the V six engines that they had turbo engines, but um it was a lot different sound and and the fact that they pass by, you don't have to plug your ears, I guess. There's a you know, a lot of races I've been to have, you know, had to wear earplugs where there was NASCAR or NHRA um protected ears, but really there, I mean, I had it anyways, but uh I mean you didn't have to. It was still a um you know, loud enough where you could enjoy it
0: but not too loud where it would destroy your ears probably helps with the uh, muff with the uh, being on the streets They probably have to do stuff with the exhaust and the mufflers which also helps with fandom and being able to go around and walk around yeah um you're able to go and experience the backside of the circuit and also one of the key areas of dan weldon way right. turn turn 10 uh the Seeing it in person, I think, uh, give a little perspective on that, Josh. I know that TV never does any of these places justice, but how, like, is there, like, in terms of the crown of the road going into some of these corners, how much does it play a role in how you have to doing entry and exits, especially in the backside of the circuit, it's very tight. And then even in turn 10, is there, like, a crown on the road because it's in the middle is that uh, deviate their line or whatever in terms of having to make the braking and also entry and exit.
1: Yeah. For turn 10. I mean, that, that, that was a really good entrance there. I mean, they're basically full speed from turn nine. There's a, you know, a little bit of a kink there in between there, but they're full throttle through that until they get into turn 10 and you know, you hear them get on the brakes, but you almost don't even really know that they're getting on the brakes until you hear the gear shifts and um, you know, one car, like you'll hear a couple of gear shifts and then if you have like two or three cars in succession they're really close to each other it, it's um just a really interesting sound of how they're all trying to downshift basically at the same time getting into the corner um but turn 10 i mean it, it's a interesting corner because uh you're hard the brakes into there and it's a good passing zone too i know that uh willpower had a couple of passes there um i don't actually know if i saw those but i remember looking back on uh somebody had a, another view of that and i saw that but um because i mean I, I may have been in turn nine or seven eight nine over there but uh turn 10 the the uh breaking zone there it's pretty heavy breaking zone and and you're really just trying to set yourself up for the next part of the track and that hairpin Turn, you know, 13 and 14 right there before you get back onto the straightaway. So, you know, it's a really important corner. Um, I mean, you, you have to carry enough speed through there, but also you know, you can't overdrive it and go into the runoff area right there in front of the grandstand. Um, so that part is pretty interesting to see just how they're able to slow down and get right back onto it. Um, but I mean, I, I love the view of how they're able to go zoom right past you. Um, whether it was, you know, Jimmy Johnson, uh, being several seconds behind the lead pack or Colton Herta leading another lap. I mean, it was just a, uh, awesome view of that as well. And, you know, just a great experience overall. Um, yeah, but the fans, I mean, the fans too there, I mean, they, uh, I mean, there's a lot of Jimmy Johnson fans there as well. And I mean, that was, I think that's an important part too, is, uh, the fact that he's joining the sport now and you're seeing a lot of, you know, Jimmy Johnson, NASCAR fans becoming any, IndyCar fans. And then also, I mean, the IndyCar fans that are already there. I mean, some of them, you know, they're kind of making fun of Jimmy Johnson's struggles, I guess, but, you know, that's part of it. I mean, I was joking around about it too, but, uh, I mean, the, the growth, I think with him getting into the sport and bringing in new fans, I think there's a lot to say. I mean, they were wearing Jimmy Johnson, uh, you know, old Lowe's 48 car. Uh, shirts they're wearing some of them wearing the new Carvana shirts so I mean I think if we're going
0: to have a most popular driver it's probably going to be Jimmy Johnson Jimmy at the Johnson. end of the year yeah I mean the fact of the matter is I mean we'll get into the fact that Colton Herta stuck a foot up everybody's ass Mario Andretti basically used Colton Herta destroying as a way to go and insult egghead which is beautiful um you know like the fact that Jimmy Johnson, people want to slander the guy, the guy's 45 years old and he's been doing this for over 30 years in motorsports and winning in some way, shape or form. Sure. He hasn't won the last few years. Sure. The 48 car, the, the quote 48 car just won uh, again. I mean the actual 48 car won in Las Vegas with Larson. And then they decided to tape it up solid and blow up five laps into the race on thir- on Sunday, which was just great. Um, That's just genius I mean the same way as all the Toyotas failed inspection, previous inspection but that doesn't matter um, but the fact that Jimmy Johnson there's more interaction and more activation with Carvana and Jimmy Johnson than I've seen for any other sponsor and driver combination in IndyCar since like Allens or Junior and Valvoline or like the Texaco Havilland days which had Davy and the Andretti's or target, like it's a target days of Jimmy Vassar and Alex Zanardi, which now they have this, this is Ganassi, which is a play on the, this is sports center thing. And Alex Pelot is sitting there like roasting Jimmy Johnson, like regularly. And I'm like, this is hilarious. I I got a like from him on that. I'm like, dude is literally channeling Alex Zanardi, who um, his son Niccolo came out and reported on uh, the recovery for his father. And that it's slow and steady, and there's, but he's making progress and he's improving. We don't know what it's going to be in the end, but the fact is to think that Niccolo, he was this little baby, whatever, and now he's becoming a man and he sees how much of a fighter his dad is. And I think we have somebody in that 10 car in Alex Pelot that kind of has that same spirit. And it's a beautiful thing for this series. And for Chip Ganassi Racing, um, he's a funny guy. He's soft-spoken, but he's a funny guy. And struggled on Sunday for sure. Didn't strategy did not work. Uh, after the great strategy and a great run he had at uh, at Baba, he wasn't able to do much. He started tenth, and strategy went awry. He was literally one of only three drivers that led a race. Um, Colton Herta led 97 of the 100 laps, got all the bonus points. Uh Yeah, Joseph Newgarden, who was trying to get three wins in a row at St. Pete. And then the uh, Simon Pagina, who got his first podium since uh, July of 2020. Jack Harvey started second, finished fourth for Meyer Shank, And then Scott Dixon uh, got a top five, which is Scott Dixon. I mean, would you expect anything different? Um, Will Power came from 20th. So you mentioned now he's making some passes. I don't know Car Shop was on all of these cars. That's convenient. Um, he came from 20th to finish 8th. Erickson, 16th to 7th. And Sato, 15th to 6th. Uh, Bordet fell back. Renus VK fell back a little bit. Those are the guys that VK and Bordet finished out the top 10. Scott McLaughlin finished 11th after starting 14th um some of the other guys that had uh nightmare runs and i think that's where we'll go with i mean you have Herta. i mean there, i mean there really isn't much to say about what colton did he just destroyed and he's done this before he did it at coda or i mean i don't think it was like a given that he was going to win that first race i think certain things landed the right way i think his power had the lead Then the caution came out and he didn't pit, but Coda or or Herta did, and then he took off. Uh, The Laguna Seca win that he had his second career win was dominant. His win at Mid Ohio last year was dominant. So now you can say four wins in his career, same amount as his father. Three of them have been destruction. Um, Colton Herta, they've played him up as the big deal, the next big thing. And performances like that kind of um, fit the narrative, I'd say.
1: Yeah, I mean, Colton Herta—he's definitely dominated this uh, series and uh, in this win and and those two wins that you mentioned. But I think you know, for going into this year, I would have thought that Alexander Rossi would reassert himself as the top guy at Andretti. I mean, he's kind of been the de facto top driver there, anyways. But I, you know, I think the last year and a half, I guess, he's basically struggled. And I think Colton Herta is definitely that guy now. And you know, they've talked about. Colton heard of being able to go to Ferrari. If, if they did, they'd let him do it. I mean, I definitely think he's talented enough to be in a Ferrari car, or, you know, any at uh, least, you know, decent midfield ride uh, in Formula One where he could at least be, you know, somewhat competitive. Definitely could go there. Um, but then I think you talk about like Alexander Rossi, you know, he didn't really uh, have the best result. He had a flat tire after a run in with uh, uh, Graham Rahal on Sunday, yeah. you know, James Hinchcliffe, uh, run in with Sato. Um, and they, they kind of have the same mentality when they get into other drivers, they don't really like the contact, I guess. And, and then they go out on social media and, you know, James Hinchcliffe was like, Oh, he got sawtoed after the race. Uh, Alexander Rossi, you know, is, uh, kind of his, you know, normal, um, uh, passive aggressive self after the race with, uh, that and, you know, then again, like Colton heard last week, he had that accident and just went right back to work, went and took care of business without, you know, complaining or anything and, and went out and dominated. these guys, you know, go out and complain. So, you know, maybe they need to readjust their mentality a little bit and kind of focus in instead of uh, trying to make memes or whatever of themselves and, uh, uh, get back to whatever their form is. And, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray, I mean, at this point, I think he exists in, uh, and out of sport. I mean, I think he'll probably retire there or whatever, but uh, if he's not careful, I mean, he mentioned like not being happy about the series uh, for his performance at the beginning of the year. Well, it's probably a good time to start uh, finishing better. And I mean, he's got the oval races this weekend, so good chance to uh, get back on track. But I mean, it looks like Colton Hurd is uh, separating himself by a large distance,
0: not only from the field, but from his own teammates as well. Yeah, I mean, for I'm no I don't really care for the constant, you know, knob gobbling of them, but I can't deny that he doesn't have talent. A guy has talent. He's way better than his dad ever was. Um, the fact is Mario Andretti co-signed on him being in Formula One. And he should be in Formula One. Uh, there are multiple drivers. Roman Grosjean said it. There's other people in this garage, in this paddock area that would be better. Than a lot of the drivers that are in Formula One currently. And um, Colton Herter would be one of them. Joseph Newgarden should have been one of them. Uh, you know, Alexander Rossi was, but he drove for the worst team. Um, Alexander Rossi, I think there was a stat, I don't know where I, if it was on Twitter, if it was on one of these websites, where they showed his stats prior to Colton Herter showing up and his stats ever since Colton Herder showed up. And he was like up here, like he was doing really good. And ever since Colton Herter showed up, he's gone downhill. And so you have to wonder when you consider how much money Napa is putting into that team and also auto nation with, with, uh, Jim Meyer and you consider those two plus HPD and they paid a lot of money for, for, for Alexander Rossi. I mean, granted. Yeah. I mean, Ryan Andre has not had luck in about three or four years, uh, I think he's just holding on for dear life. He does better work in a sports car. Whenever he jumps in a sports car, he does amazing work. So it shows he still has it. Um, He's going on down the line of freaking Elio, Castro Neves and Juan Pablo Montoya is going to be a sports car driver here soon enough. Um, I think if Jimmy Johnson was smart, he would spend a lot of time getting that prototype deal going uh, so he can get to Le Mans eventually and go and call Ryan Hunter Ray. I think that would be a great, a teammate and partner along with like Simon Pagino or whoever the hell else wants to sign up and join that train. Um, I mean, Rossi has to watch it. You know, it's not like he's going to lose a job. He's going to be there. But Colton Hurd is the longer this goes. He's the guy, as you said, James Inchcliffe, literally, if, if, if it wasn't for like uh, Dalton Kellett, Max Chilton and Jimmy, he's literally the worst driver on the racetrack. Um, he's taken over the Marco Andretti role as being just a waste of time and a waste of a seat. Um, and, you know, the, these two races of Texas might turn the tide hopefully uh, but he has generally been irrelevant and uh, a non-factor and you can make the argument that Andretti Autosport similar to what Stuart Haas is, is really a one car team. They really aren't, but um. Right now there's only one car that I know for sure on a weekly basis is going to perform. And it's the 26 car. Uh, the 27 car should, but there's always something. The 28 car has a, has the anvil, like it's freaking bugs, bunny, dropping on them, whatever, every single race, uh, James Hinchcliffe, God love him. He's one of my favorite people I've ever seen in motorsport. And he's an amazing announcer. Um, the continued performances like he has the last few races that he's had. Um, He'll be closer to being announced an announcer for NBC or whatever network takes over IndyCar coverage. And he'll be um, driving an IndyCar, especially when you consider Andretti Autosport, I think is like four guys in the Indy light series. So you would assume one of those guys is going to win the championship and get up there. Uh, You talk about other guys who used to be at Andretti Autosport Uh, paddle award after, um, you know, his run and not being able to come through because of Arrow spam was not really a factor. And the Arrow team did not have a great weekend in general. Uh, you, you go back and you see uh, Rosenquist finished 17 or started 17, finished 12th. And of course, Pato had issues, uh, started sixth and then finished 19th, which um, when you're trying to compete for points in a championship, you can't be giving up that much ground. Uh, I mean, you can also talk about Green Rehaul, um Ed. What is it? Also Ed Connor Jones. Daly. I mean, Ed Jones is whatever. I mean, he's he's there to fill a fill the quota or whatever. Cut checks, the Dubai checks, so that um, when when the checks from uh, Dale Coyne bounced and they'll be able to pay for Roman Grosjean or or Cody Ware or whoever is going to go and wreck some of their cars later in the year, but. We'll see what happens. It's Texas. It's a one-groove racetrack. It's going to be a cluster. They're going to have two races, so plenty of time to go and destroy race cars or just drive around in a single-file parade, which is what it's probably going to be because that shithole's covered in grip strip because NASCAR vehicles cannot actually pass. Um, and hopefully, the sad thing is I don't think they're going to have to push to pass or any – we'll see what the new oval aero package will bring to the table um, at Texas here this weekend. I don't really have high hopes, mainly because it's Texas. You could go and make it an unlimited hydroplane race. I think they'd still figure out a way to go and fuck it up um, because it's Texas. Um, You could cover it in dirt. You could make it into the greatest. You could try to make it the Mickey Thompson stadium series. They'd still figure out. It doesn't matter. It's the worst racetrack in this whole entire country basically that other than the one that that idiot maggot guy wanted to ignore mask mandates and everything that got closed in Carolina somewhere other than that moron, I mean, it's probably the worst racetrack, like main, like mainstream racetrack that exists in, uh, in society. But with that transition to another stupid racetrack that with racing, that is mind numbing, uh, will go to the, uh, what is it? the uh, my Geico 500 At Talladega Which saw Brad Keselowski lead one lap The final lap And he won His sixth, counts. only one that counts Sixth win at Talladega Ties him with Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt Jr. And uh, Dale Jr. came out on the live Segment said, I'm happy for you But you better not pass my dad and I'm pretty sure he's not going to pass his dad because he's not going to be able to drive long enough to do that, uh, number one. And number two, uh, you have to be fucking lucky and then, you know, doing all kinds of stuff to even get there. It, it, he got a lot of help. He got help from uh Huff, being Quinhoff, He got help from Martin Truex and James Small and their stupidity. And um, they have a broken track bar, cuts a tire down. I thought he was going to spin out with three to go. He didn't spin it out. He or five to go, whatever. Didn't spin it out. Got it back to the pits. Decided to drive around on the apron. Cuts a tire again. I mean, at that point, that like you should—that's a penalty. I don't care who you are. Um, Clayton, like we talked about it on Talking in Circles last night too. You can find us on all platforms there too. Uh, talked about how the caution clock, the repair clock, is part of the reason why these things happen. Um, the repair clock doesn't do anything. It's to me at the end of the day, if your car can't roll or whatever, if you need to work on it, you should be allowed to work on it. You can't, you shouldn't put a stipulation on how long it takes to repair a car. Um, you should give the people the time that they want. If they can't get it done in a timely fashion, like five laps or three laps or whatever the hell it is, You know, like, what's the difference at that point? You're not, you're out of the race. Once you get past two laps down, you're out of the race anyway. So give the effing people two laps to do it, whether it's under yellow, whether it's whatever, give them two laps. If they can't get their repairs done in two laps with some of these teams, they don't deserve to have their car back out on the racetrack. Um, But for Brad, he got to take down that dipshit Michael McDowell, uh, who was about to go and win that race to run him over and win that race. I'm William Byron. I think he had everything but the lottery um, on, on Sa- Sunday. Uh, Kevin Harvick, somehow or another, got a top five finish there. Uh, and then D Burrito. That's really the story there. I think um, D Burrito had the race one, and he, for whatever reason, pulled a Tony Stewart and went up to the wrong line. He was famous for that. And I say that as a Tony Stewart diehard that he would make the wrong decisions late in these plate races and it would cost him, it cost him multiple Daytona 500s. It, um, it cost him races at Talladega Um, even when he actually won a race. I mean, in the, in hindsight, people wanted to be mad about it. It actually was a good thing that he won that race instead of who could have won that race. Um, But he gave away Talladega when they were talking about the Talladega race the last time, there was no cautions, because that was the first race after Dale Earnhardt's death. Uh, we were talking about that, and it's like there was a respect and everything, and Tony had a chance to win that. It was tape delayed. It was, he had a chance to win it, made the wrong move. Bobby Hamilton passed, him. That was the last win for Bobby Hamilton as a cup driver, and the last one for Andy Petrie. That's the last time they had a non-no cautions, I think, in a cup race or some shit like that.
1: No, so that it shows how...
0: 2002, with Dale
1: 2000, Jr., Fall fall oh, Talladega. Okay.
0: All right. So, yeah, yeah so... Still, Talladega though. Yeah. So I mean that. So it was 2001 spring, 2002 fall, and Tony just followed him that day because that was for points. He took the points lead at um, that race. Um, Earnhardt got whatever his third win or second win or whatever the hell it was. Uh, I think it was a second win there. And then he and then Tony just followed him all day. Took that second place finish. Took the points lead, and then and, and held on to win his first Cup Series championship. But I guess Josh over like overall thoughts on the package uh, that we see with the big ass spoiler um, that Dale Jr. doesn't want to call it the big ass spoiler anymore, but that's what it is and uh, how it affects things. I know you're more of an ana- you're more of the Aero analytics. You can get into all the science more of the science end of it. Is, do they have a solution or do they just want this to be WWE? or do they not care? I have my, I have one particular thought I'm going to, I'll add once uh, you give your thoughts on the race and Brad getting a win here.
1: Well, I mean, I didn't really watch too much of the race. I mean, it was at the IndyCar race and then driving home after that. But I mean, the Matty D I mean, I was thinking the exact same thing. That was straight out of Tony Stewart's playbook of how to lose a race on the last lap. Going blocking on the the wrong line and then giving it to Brad Keselowski there. But the race itself, I mean, the flipping with Joey Logano, I mean, that's basically the main topic. I mean, all of a sudden now Joey Logano's uh, pushing for changes. I mean, he's been part of this mess for the last, what, uh, three or four years, five years that um, he's basically been able to win restrictor plate races, uh, yeah. or, you know, super speedway
0: races with ever uh, since he's car. been in a Penske car, yep. he's been competitive. So this is going on eight years now he's been in a Penske car. So
1: yeah, but they've only really been good at the plate tracks or super speedways since uh, like 2015 or so. That was like the first year, like the year that he basically beat Dale Jr. by a splitter to the caution light. Uh, to oh when, yeah, yeah, that was when that Kevin Harvick caused when yeah.
0: Kevin Harvick caused the intentional wreck at that one.
1: Yeah, yeah, so. I mean, that's basically like when I associate like in Joey's career, like him being good at on the cup side with winning. But I mean, now all of a sudden he's an advocate for safety or whatever. Uh, maybe I don't, I don't really buy it. I mean, or maybe I do, I don't know, but I mean, this thing, I mean, it's part of it, the, the spoiler, the big link, they, helps them get a big run and, and you, you know, it's really hard to stop those runs. I mean, it takes a lot of timing and coordination with your spotter to be able to time those right. So um, you don't block too late or whatever, but, and, and then there's also, you know the, the pusher. You know you push. You get too big of a run, and then you um, hit them square or not square enough, and um, ends up causing your wreck. I mean, it, it, all of that plays into it. But I mean, the the flip part. I mean, I don't think it's really a factor with the the big spoiler there. I mean, I think with that, it's more of a pressure change with. Uh, you know, the the side skirts and uh, the underbody and all that stuff, the splitter, I mean, maybe, I think that probably plays a factor too, but I think it's not really a, a blowover type flip. It, it always seems to happen once uh, the car uh, makes contact with another object that briefly puts it into the air and then that causes uh, a pressure change. And then that causes to flip up in the air. I mean, thankfully for this wreck, it wasn't like a, a big flip. I mean, he just got onto his roof and then flipped right back over. So it wasn't like there was a, a lot of damage, but still, I mean, you don't really want to be in, in that situation, I guess. I mean, it's a definitely a, a scary feeling when you kind of feel nothing for a brief moment and then you crash back down onto the ground. So, I mean, maybe that's where Joey Logano's a little bit humbled there uh, getting into an accident, but I mean, hopefully with the new car coming up, they figure out a way uh, to prevent the, I guess, like figure out, you know, fix that pressure change so that they don't flip over like that. And then also maybe they figure out a way to uh, have entertaining racing, I guess, or competitive racing, I should say. Uh, with uh, the spoiler package rather than what we have right now where uh, it's all kind of you know we're all on top of each other and then uh, we wreck at the end or wherever I mean I think with uh, 2015-2014 that was probably the best plate package we had Uh, maybe a little bit of 2016 where it was a shorter spoiler I think but it was still very passable and I think there is a a lot of uh, handling issues well with uh, Daytona I guess but uh, not as much as Talladega but is still, you know, you could pass a lot there. And I mean, those were some of the better restrictor plate races that I've seen. I mean, they still had wrecks. So wrecks are always going to be a part of the equation. I mean, the drivers cause the wrecks. I mean, let's, let's be honest, but, um, the package, I guess, gives them the best chance of managing that. And I, I think with this, um, you know, they don't really have a lot of respect for each other and that kind of enables them. And maybe if they you know, figure out a way to fix the downforce, uh, I guess, so that, um, there's not that pressure change uh, underneath and then also changing the spoiler i guess to either lower it or change the angle of attack i guess maybe with uh the you know the angle of the spoiler i i think maybe that might help but i mean they're always going to wreck at daytona and talladega as you know as long as as long as time exists i guess they're still going to crash and everything
0: yeah i think you mentioned the new car and it kind of leads into the thought I had yesterday, uh, also, um, talking to oh, sorry for keeping on chilling it, but Hey, if you want to hear NASCAR only can go there too. Um, we had a pretty spirited discussion because of how stupid some of the stuff that went on, because I'm, I'm, I'm out, uh, unabashed. I do not like racing at Talladega. And I don't even say that I say this as a guy of a fan. I'm a fan of a guy who just won his sixth race there. Um, I had, I was a fan of guys I used to win there regularly, like Davey Allison and Ernie Irvin. I spent the better, like 15 plus years having a guy that would figure out a way to spit the bit at Talladega. But it's not racing. You could cut, get the freaking things off the ground, get the front ends off the ground, take them two inches of clearance. You have to have two inches of clearance. Go and get the things off the ground on the back end. Get it, put a one inch spoiler on it, put a little wicker on it if you want a little gurney flap on that little one inch spoiler because the point is you look at the 1970s and they ran what theoretically were stock cars and they had a little one inch blade on there and I don't know what else they had on there probably like a one or two inch blade and those things their front end was off the freaking ground and the ass end was off the ground and they were loose as anything you actually had to drive now These guys just drive through each other like it's whatever, and they think it's all right. You know, Logano, I get it. He got spooked because he got hit in the window, Um, no neck style, sort of. Uh, Bubba, somehow or another, got through that deal and Chase Briscoe. Uh, Bubba, I mean, his owner got mad about his driving tactics again because Bubba insists on driving like that for whatever reason because he's pressing uh and then briscoe actually got a top 15 finish which was a miracle That's the uh, people that want to talk about oh why is he suck so bad i'm like you can just look at the team and look at the crew chief and then look at who else is on that team and outside of kevin harvick the rest of that team is garbage they're outside of the top 25 in points so i mean the racing there is a joke it takes no talent to drive through somebody it's why it's like you don't. They didn't approve Jennifer Ho, but you know they'll allow Quinn Huff and Joey Gates to run around and cause cautions. And you know, like there's no talent or, or whatever involved in that. You'll say, well, there was talent in what Brad did. No, he took the right run, and uh, he's been able to do that more times than not than on the other two other guys and or three other guys and uh, the history of that racetrack. But it there are races that Brad has had that were way more about actual driver skill. I would say it was more about his skill than it was actually what the heck happened. No, that's not good. Um, you know, in terms of the racing itself, it's whatever it's Talladega, you, you know, you're going to destroy race cars. That's what they want to do. Uh, Keselowski, Byron McDowell, Harvick D Benedetto, Kaz Grala from 38th to 6th in the colleague racing, uh, uh, 16, Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon. So three RCR uh, affiliate cars or RCR cars, period. Sixth, seventh, and eighth. Uh, YRB and Cold Custard, your top 10. Briscoe and Alfredo, the rookie battle, finished 11th and 12th. Other guys, other notables. I mean, you had Kyle Larson blow up three laps into the race because um, – you know, they, for whatever reason, they decided to seal off the thing being solid. Like Tony said, back in 2012 and blow her up Logano, of course, ended up on his lid 48 car got DVP'd. And then there's, then you have Quinn Huff being Quinn Huff. There's 36 drivers at the end of the race. Um, Eric Jones, did get destroyed at the end of the race. He was leading late, but, um, ends up getting destroyed there and go and look at the cars that had unapproved adjustments Four, five of them were Toyotas. And I think there's like six of them in the field. So that's tells you a lot. I mean, six. Yeah. Six Toyotas and five of them didn't had a, a pillar issue. So yeah, that's, that was Talladega. That was definitely Yeah, I was emotional. I was happy that Brad won that race. Uh, It was necessary. Uh, The way things have been going so far this year and uh, the way things are with how many winners there are. Every Getting a win is a massive uh, step forward in regards to their opportunity to compete for a championship because they can go in R&D and figure out other things at tracks like Coda. Some of these other road courses, Road America. You got the 600 coming up. You got Darlington coming up. So you got some tracks, Kansas. So, right now, I mean, outside of, you know, Coda, which is a wild card for everybody, these are racetracks that Brad has either won at recently or has made a habit of winning at. Um, Kansas being the most likely example of that multiple winner there. But he's won the Southern 500 or he's won that throwback weekend race a couple of years ago. And then he won the Coca-Cola 600, I think, last year. So it's a good time to go and get a win on the board. Uh, Let us see over here. Uh, Yeah, Just going and dealing with a little something right here. Go back over to the... GSP roundup. So then the all-star format, as we talked about Goosage um, and his infinite wisdom uh, decided to make a race of now uh, six stages, six rounds. They have a random draw rounds. One through four will be 15 laps each. So six first 60 laps will be in four stages. The fifth round will be 30 laps. Which will then lead into the 10 lap shootout. The beginning of round two will be inverted. Round two, also using this. Round three will be inverted. Round four field will be random draw. So you have two random draws in the middle. Oh my god. You want to talk about the most convoluted race in the history of all of motorsports? That's the all-star race. You you put a bunch of things together, a race that's past its um, it's past its usefulness in the all-star race with more gimmicks than you would see in a, in a WWE or AEW event. And then you add one of the worst racetracks on mankind. And I mean, they I don't know who the hell, not plenty of people there. It's going to fucking suck, but I don't know what the heck they're accomplishing is what they're trying to accomplish or what their goal is. Seems really, really dumb uh and idiotic and a waste of time they might as well just put the damn thing in a quarter mile the quarter mile in the front straightaway and just destroy each other like the geriatric 500 took place in 1992 Um, that would make more sense than the bullshit that they're going to be doing at texas uh i mean it's just my favorite part is that goosage had to give up one of his point states Dakota and they have to actually promote that race as though it's a Texas race, but or whatever Texas Motor Speedway race. And he has to do all the work there. And he's gonna go and promote the Coda race. And then to one up the fact that he only has one points race, he makes one of the most farcical uh, formats ever for the all-star race. I mean, the all star race is completely irrelevant now. I think they're the gen seven car, like we're talking about it with Talladega. I think I was saying it yesterday that the gen seven car is probably going to meet the most tame lead to the most tame Daytona 500 we've had since the year 2000, uh, because they're probably not going to want to destroy tons of equipment and they are. Doing all kinds of rules changes or making it basically the super speedway engine package with whatever super speedway arrow, and so that race is going to be a complete cluster. Uh, what are your thoughts, Josh, on the the announcement that Gooseage made earlier today about the format for the All Star race?
1: Well, overall, I think it's just too convoluted. They, I see, they have like a lot of inversions, a lot of a uh, random draw. Um, they're gonna broadcast the second random draw or whatever on on Fox, and the fans will be able to see it on Twitter or on at the racetrack on Big Haas, whatever. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just too much, I guess. I mean, I don't really care about like the the amount of uh, stages or whatever that's in it um that's irrelevant to me but just how they're doing it it's just uh, it's too much um the first couple of editions of this race it was pretty clear what the format was i mean it was pretty clear what it was up until the mid 2000s and that's when it started to change and it's just ridiculous the all star race hasn't been relevant since about 2008 i guess uh, after that it's basically been there as a, whatever race, and now they're trying to change it and everything. And I don't know, I'm not really a, a fan of it, but overall, the reason why they're trying to make these changes is because they know the racing sucks. So they got to, um, do all these crazy inversions, uh, these crazy amount of, uh, segments that they have to do and notice it's only 15 laps because that's the amount of time that it Um, it would last with a good run with, uh, this package before everybody gets too strung out. So you have all that, and then they have to make this convoluted format when really what they need to do is, uh, I mean, cancel the season. First of all, um, just say, all right, we're, we're done with uh, gen six and, uh, we're, we'll just finish the year broadcasting, uh, test sessions for the new car. And then we'll be back next year. That's, that's what they should do because the car sucks. Uh, and that's why yep. they have to keep making these changes and it's just too convoluted. So it's terrible.
0: And There's no way to make a Texas race good unless you have like IRL death traps all on top of each other. Uh, that's basically the only time when Texas was considered racing, but that's all not even racing. It was basically a super speedway race with indie cars. Um, and we see how well that worked out at times. Uh, for certain people um you know like it's they could they could do whatever they want to the texas motor speedway i mean they could i mean personally to me kyle petty when he said he wanted Darlington to be filled with water and they could hold the bass masters i think that's what they need to do to texas uh, if they're not going to do that i just want somebody to allow me to go and take a bulldozer and just like go into turn one because that's where they used to one of the first issue the thousands of issues they've had just literally bulldoze turn one just leave it there like that so then when they take these damn cup cars in a turn one it'll just be like a hole be like a pothole from new jersey and then we'll see how many of the people still have a front end on it that'll be the end of the race i'm like oh we had a pothole on the racetrack what happened there oh we had weepers we had a pothole we had this And you know, all of them ripped the nose off because a stupid freaking uh splitter on the front of it or some bullshit I mean, like, I hate Texas Motor Speedway with a passion, and I think Gossage is one of the most fraudulent examples of life that I've ever seen. The guy doesn't have an original thought. I mean, fucking guy copied Humpy Wheeler's routine and gimmick, being his butt boy for decades at Charlotte, and then Bruton and his infinite wisdom said, "Oh, we'll go and build this track in Denton or wherever hell, Dallas, Fort Worth." And they stole two racetracks, two races from other racetracks. They barely have ever had a good race there. They, they fucked that place seriously. Just seriously torch it and be better off and go and start over again. They're going to go and make us not go to ACS anymore because they're going to make some convoluted short track. Go and torch freaking Texas Motor Speedway, start over again and, and go and make a, a proper, you know whatever what is it not two like three a smile short track and and then you can go and have two races again because you'll have a three a smile short track and i'll have two races that are short tracks to schedule um goosage will cry about money but of course he always would cry about money freaking bitch um like lindsey graham um f1 sprint races so that's coming up that'll be uh later in the summer and uh They'll have the 4 circuit weekend in the future, blah, blah blah. So it looks like Silverstone and Monza will be two of them. Um, uh, different rules in regard to tire, different usage. You'll have one practice, and then you'll have qualifying. Sounds similar to what uh, the. Sprint qualifying winner. Yeah. So yeah, he's on Friday, a practice one and then regular qualifying. Then you have practice two and the actual race sprint race to set the field for the Sunday um, Grand Prix. So that'll be a little different. It'll kind of take a, a page out of formula two and formula three and the way they do things. uh, In a sense, because they, Go and qualify for, I think, the one race and set the grid for the second race based on what happened in the first or, you know, kind of inkling to that. I think it's a nice little change. We'll see how it works, though, Josh. Um, I don't know how much it alters the front end of the grid, but you look at how the points are right now, and they're going to give points for the top three finishers in the sprint race, and it's a one-point lead because Lewis Hamilton has a fastest lap point. So these three sprint race weekend things might actually be a big part of what takes place here in November when they determine a world champion.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh, format and idea and we'll see how it plays out. I mean, I agree with you there that it probably won't affect the the top three teams that much. I mean, we'll probably see them all qualify relatively close close to each other. So I think with, uh this thing i mean it, it could end up affecting the points battle i mean you think about like whoever gets the pole uh in these sprint races gets those points and and i mean the the top you know three finishers as well but with with that i mean what if one of them gets in an accident and then that ends up affecting uh, their points uh, position as well at the end of the season and it affects them negatively i think you have to think about that too um, if if that happens and and, you know, what if, uh, instead of starting in first, if they did it the normal way with Q3, Q2, and Q1, they end up starting like in 20th or something, cause of an issue. And then, uh, they end up having to, you know, waste a lot of time getting back up to the front or, you know, they, uh, don't get the win at all. I mean, you know, what if say like, you know, what if Lewis gets into an accident or something and in, in one of these sprint races, and then, um, you know, doesn't finish or whatever. And then on Sunday, uh, doesn't get up there, uh, for the win or doesn't score enough points. And then that ends up being the result in the championship that um, prevents him from getting an eighth championship. I think you have to think about things like that as well, but I mean, it should be a entertaining format, I guess. It should be a a beneficial for the series financially uh, be able to, you know, generate a little bit more revenue revenue. And then I think, you know, also the teams be able to um, get more earnings from that as well. So uh, it should, Uh, help from that perspective but you know I think you also have to think about the uh, negative connotations that kind of come with uh, adding more competition like that uh, to the race weekend for F1.
0: And another piece I'm curious about about all the parts especially with the power unit where they limit them to three for the year I wonder how Um, It's probably been addressed, whether it's Barreto or whoever at Formula Buxton or some of these other insiders, they may have addressed it, Uh, Tremaine and the bunch, you know, Jeff, um, Jeff Tremaine, David Tremaine, Um, you know, I I wonder how that's going to affect things and if people are going to sandbag or going to do something to go and save engine uh, life and then in turn go and Come and turn it on full blast on on Sunday to get through the field or some crap like that. Uh, that's something we'll find out, I guess, this summer when they actually put it into use. I noticed while uh, you were able, we were able to come back. I noticed about a uh, good old Jeb Burton uh, deviating off of the uh, what do you call the roundup to go and go back to the Talladega deal where. Um, yeah, Timmy Hill is bringing fire throwbacks. I got I to say, some of these Xfinity throwbacks are cool. Um, not, not colleagues, but <laughs> especially Jeb Burtons, which is completely inaccurate. But, you know, that's not the first time we've seen inaccurate paint schemes. So, uh, Timmy Hill actually has a good one based on Krusty Wallace's um, old Xfinity uh, team. And then he also did – Timmy Hill also did a Kenny Irwin – throwback for his truck team, which is really cool, the late Kenny Irwin. So credit to Mr. Bootscoot Boogie uh, for always being one for the people. I think he is the people's uh, racing driver or one of. But another guy who's like a people's racing driver is Jeb Burton for all he's been through over the years, the kind of rides he's been in. Getting this win, getting himself locked into the playoffs uh, is a big – Deal for him. It's his first win, I think, since he was driving for Turner back in the Truck Series days. That was like 2013. That tells you how long it's been for him to win a race. So it's a big deal for him for colleague as they're building towards their eventuality of a Cup program. You know the the collie cars have been absolutely ridiculous on these Super Speedway races. Uh, it was him. It was uh, Burton and Austin Sindrick were two dominant figures. Daniel heinrich was the other one uh, that led the majority of the race. Allmendinger, Herps got a top five. Ryan Sieg gets a top five finish, much needed for him. Gagson finished uh, sixth after winning one stage. And then, yeah, Brandon Brown, Justin Haley, won a stage, and he's going to be throwing back to their first time. Lee Filter was on any car, which was the Archie St. Hilaire 32, and Myatt Snyder finished 10th in terms of guys that uh, there's a couple of, no, that's laps. That's whatever. Background. Uh, yeah, There's accident for, for Brandon Jones, you know, Ty Dillon got involved in that Rex too with, with Joey. I think with Brandon Jones, Joey Gase. Um, I'm trying to look to see if there's anybody all guy had a brutal run. Got points, stage points, but I know finishing 29th. Uh, yeah, I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot there. I mean, I guess credit to Jeb Burton on finally getting that Xfinity win.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jeb Jeff, Jeff Burton, I mean, he was able to uh, win it by default there with the accidents that happened there at the end of the race, and then it ended up raining. So he was able to be up front and get the win. So uh, Colleague like Racing, I guess, another good execution there with, their ability to be up front uh, when it matters for these uh, super speedway races. And they really have a good plan. I mean, they just know how to stay and stick with each other throughout these races and, and uh, remain up front. But then, you know, there are other guys that were there throughout the day. I mean, Ty Dillon was kind of up there as well. And then he ended up getting caught up in that accident there at the last caution before the rain delay uh, ended up happening. But, and then, uh, ended up post or canceling the rest of the race and getting Jeb Burton the win. But I mean, it wasn't really a lot that happened in this race uh overall. I mean, it was a, a lot calmer, I guess, than uh, the cup series race. Although that race was relatively calm than what we've seen lately on, at these tracks. But I mean, good, good win for Jeb Burton. I mean, he hasn't been quite as good as uh, his teammate there, but I, I think, Uh, When it comes down to late in the season, maybe they might be a a wild card or somebody to look out for uh, when it comes down to it uh, at the end of the series, uh, at the end of the season with these playoffs coming up uh, in the fall. So good win for Jeb Burton, but probably should have uh, won that one outright rather than in the rain.
0: Yeah, it's a byproduct of the way NASCAR schedules things. They could add that race run fully and you rain out the arc race, nobody's going to care. Uh, but it's TV. D- TV dictates everything. So you ring out next century. Uh, but for Jeb Burton, it's a much needed win after many years um, and all the struggles that he's went through. And it does prove a point that Brett Griffin can be useful for something. Nobody knew that, but he it, he is useful because he somehow another got Jeb Burton a ride and sponsors and a little bit. Well, he didn't, but he was a part of it, so. Give credit where credit's due. Look at Clayton Hughes. He was an annoying SOB, and now he's a freaking spotter for Michael McDowell, so he's never going to go away. Freaking leeches. Um, That is Xfinity. went over that. In terms of, we talked about the sprint race format and uh, whatever, the IndyCar or the NASCAR format. You have Turkey. Back to replace them, the Canadian Grand Prix uh, is because of COVID protocols, of course, um, and the guidelines that Canada has relative to other countries. You um, wonder what's going to happen with other Canadian races. More than likely, like that'll be the same thing for NASCAR and for the going to Mossport or going to. For the only one I'm curious is about IndyCar. We'll see what happens with that um in terms of i mean i guess josh i'll throw on this too what are you thinking in regards to turkey being back on the calendar at least temporarily and do you feel like the canadian grand prix is dead or is it that we need pandemic to kind of die down a bit or slow down sorry um and be in more manageable way and then maybe montreal be back on the schedule
1: well, I mean, it's a good opportunity for Turkey, I guess, to be on the schedule again and let them uh, have an opportunity to have a Formula One race. But, I mean, more or less for me, I mean, the focus is really on the Canadian Grand Prix in uh, Montreal. Montreal a great racetrack. Uh, I I love the uh, racing on there in the sim, and I think the races that they've had there are pretty entertaining, but it does put it into question now. They've now missed uh, two races in a row because of COVID, and I mean, last year, obviously, it was the pandemic, and now this year, we're kind of recovering and, and everything, but they're still canceling it. I mean, I'm... You know, the North America overall, I mean, I know it hasn't been the best, but we still figured out how to operate and stuff. And, you know, for whatever reason, Canada can't figure it out. But uh, the Canadian Grand Prix, I mean, I I think they should be able to figure it out. But then, uh, you know, I also understand uh, the that even if they didn't have fans, there would still be a big hit in revenue uh, and a, a lot of loss there and not being able to have fans. So I understand that part. Um, but then again, uh, I, I just feel like, you know, at the same time, they should probably figure out a big, a better way, I guess, to host the race while, um, not getting off the schedule, uh, with that. So I I think, I mean, in the future, maybe they can work something out, but it it does uh, bring the future of of that race uh, into question. I mean, if we uh, end up not having a race there in Canada, I mean, it is kind of a loss. I mean, I, again, like I said, I like that track and I think um, they should return there if they can, but then, um, you know, if they end up losing uh, money from that, they're probably not going to want to revisit that and it'll be off the calendar in a few years and then maybe they'll bring it back in the future uh, who knows but um for now i guess turkey's on the calendar
0: yeah and it's a, and if they have better conditions it'll be in the summer so they might have grip um rain who knows but i think a lot more grip which will be a positive than what they had last october or whatever it was um the wrc raced in rally croatia sebastian ogier won for toyota defending champion his teammate Efren Evans finished second in Thierry Newville for Hyundai finished third Autotec the Hyundai another Hyundai in fourth the first ford was Adrian Formo and then I'm trying to look around yeah those are there's eight cars in the uh, main class there there was one that was buried further down in the in the uh, running order there Hyundai driver so there's that. The next rally will be rally Portugal in a month's time. See how that whole points battle works out as we get into the rest of the year. It'll be um, ending in early, November, early mid November with the rally of Japan. Then formula E, which was hilarious because, all right, you already said formula E, but it was like formula E. They ran at Valencia and then in race one, uh, Nick DeVries won over Nico Muller and Stoffel Van Dorn or so Mercedes double podium because Oliver Olin and Alexander Sims. Uh, was a fun Five drivers, um, I think so the two Neo cars, so that's seven, um, and then Norman Nato for Venturi is eight of drivers that ran out of electricity to the point where they couldn't even get to the finish, which is pretty bad. Um, in the second race, Jake Dennis for Andretti Autosport won over Andre Lauder for Porsche and Alex Lynn for Mahindra. So that's a nice little group there. Oliver Rowland uh, finished fourth. And then you have Norman Nato, Rene Rast, John Eric Vern, former world champion, and Oliver Turvey rounding out, uh, and then Eduardo Martara and Lucas Degrassi. Uh, WEC will be back this week at Spa for their opening race of the calendar. And so that'll be a cool one to see and how that all works for the Toyota benefit that'll proceed and how the ACO will actually respond to some of these manufacturers regarding um, that amount of, of deviation between the Toyotas and other teams and other cars. Uh, MotoGP will be at Jerez and uh, that'll uh, see if they can continue their trend of uh, for hereth uh, for the Yamaha organization if they can go and have one of their drivers win or riders win in the MotoGP uh, race, and then looking at the uh, American riders in Moto Two. Is yeah, so the 200. Oh, that's nice. Ponce. Oh, they're actually going to have a f- race in Finland. Oh, that's something. Uh, they're gonna have, uh, right now you have Fabio Quattroaro, um, who's leading the points after two straight wins, and he's trying to continue that momentum. Uh, as we go along into the season, trying to hold off the likes of Mark Marquez and uh, people like that, so that they don't he doesn't get himself used up. Uh, we'll see how that whole thing uh, works out for the riders there. And Areth is a tough track, so it's hard to get a hold of. It's hard to really make things happen. Uh, without having to really make a sacrifice and like turn one or the other hairpin on the backside of the track. And then, so it's a track that these days is built for motorcycles, not as much built for cars, but you know, you figure it out as you go along. Um, moto two, it's great that I can't even find what I'm looking for, for uh, moto two. And is MotoGP? Oh, there you go. Uh, that's Cameron Bobier, of course. Joe Roberts. Those are the two Americans in the series. You have some pretty talented individuals in the series trying to move up to the um, main class, and so we'll see how those two Americans are able to fare uh, here this weekend. And, um yeah talk WC you'll see Toyota benefit more than likely in the prototype one class will be very competitive in the uh, LMP2 and probably one of the GT classes as well. So f- from there we'll move on to the picks for this week. First will be Portugal, the site of uh, Portimao, or the site of my uh, Lewis Hamilton, Sir Lewis Hamilton passing Michael Schumacher for all-time wins in formula one with 92 um but it's definitely a different time now with um the way things are uh, with the cars and bread bulls in front right now so what are you looking who are you looking at for this weekend josh
1: well you know last year at this race i mean lewis hamilton yeah he uh went past and set the record for most wins and then He also dominated that race and led 46 laps and and, uh, won. And then we had Valtteri Bottas finishing second last year, but I think it's going to be different. And I think Max Verstappen is going to win this race. Uh, I I think they've made, obviously they made a lot of gains since then. And I think he's going to come out and dominate again, just like he did uh, the last race at Imola Um, probably should have won the first race as well uh, in Bahrain, but now going uh, forward. I think Max Verstappen is going to win this one. Um, it should be a competitive race again. Uh, I think we're going to see the next chapter in the battle between, uh, Red Bull versus Mercedes, uh, Lewis versus Max. So I, I think that's, what's going to happen. And I think, um, you know, another driver, I think we should probably look out for is you know, somebody like, uh, in the midfield, I guess, uh, like, uh, Daniel Ricardo. Uh, he hasn't finished quite as well as, uh, his teammate, uh, there. And, uh, I, is a. Uh, uh, Lando Norris, I'm, you know, with, uh, Lando's been, uh, finishing pretty well. He's third in points, but, uh, Daniel Ricardo just, uh, hasn't quite had the same results. I mean, he's finished kind of solid with, uh, you know, sixth and seventh place finishes so far to start the season, but I think he can do better than that. So I'd like to see some improvement there, but, uh, I think, you know, overall this race, uh, it's going to be another, another Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, stopping. Uh, battle i mean uh if if it's like the first one which probably won't um i i think uh i would lean towards lewis but it, i think you know the question for lewis is does he make uh mistakes like he did uh the previous race uh at Imola? i mean i i don't think so and I don't think we'll have another uh heavy wet weather race but uh, it could be it could be a possible um, ending to that. It rain comes into play or something like that. I mean maybe Lewis makes another makes another mistake, especially with uh the way he's being challenged this year by Max Verstappen. But I mean it's another opportunity for uh Lewis to go there and make up for what uh happened at the previous race. So uh we'll have to see what happens. But um it should be a very interesting race to see uh in this 2020 2021 season for uh Formula One.
0: Yeah there's The intrigue is Lewis versus Max. I picked Max to win on grid talk. It's already out there. It's on YouTube. It's on anywhere you can find podcasts. You can find the grid talk podcast, uh, George and the, the team old team there. And, uh, by, After we're done here, I have to write an article on sportlight.com for the preview for the Portuguese Grand Prix. Uh, Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, and I also picked Lando Norris as my uh, pick for third. Um, I think the dark horse I said was like alpha would actually – alpha slobber would actually score points. Uh, But, I mean, Kimi Raikkonen in the mixed conditions last year in the first lap went from, I think, 16th to 6th in the first lap. So, I mean, they, they have a better car. The power unit's better at Ferrari, uh, at least with the Ferrari actual Ferrari and uh, the alpha slobber, not, um not uh egghead racing, but Putin Haas, um, not Putin Haas F1. They're definitely going to suck, but uh, there's, see what George can do in the Williams. You see what Aston Martin can do. They've had a shoddy start, especially on the Vettel side of the garage. Uh, but then they're not known for making two good cars either. So uh, that that might make a difference there. Will Alpine show up? Will they actually um, do something? Uh, Fred Alonso, Esteban Ocon, uh, they'll have back-to-back races. So, you know, if they're able to make some progress and they can come back out the next week and they can go to... Uh, go to Catalonia and do something there. Uh, that'll be the separate stories at midfield or back of the back, the yeah, midfield battle, and then also the back of the pack battle between um, Alpha Williams and uh, Putin Haas uh, to see what will happen there. Uh, for IndyCar, Texas, there's two races. I think there was a 350 and 375 kilometer uh, events in at Texas it'll be uh, they're not even showing it that's convenient I find that weird that they're not even showing it live now um, two of them's upcoming events that's in April yeah they don't need they show IndyCar
1: yeah the uh, Genesis 300 yeah uh, on Saturday and then on Sunday the X. Pell, uh, X-P-E-L, 375. Yeah, uh, so
0: 675 kilometers over two days at Texas. Hopefully you don't wreck. Um, Who are you looking at, Josh, for picks for this weekend?
1: So I'm going to go, based off of last year, this is uh, the first oval race that we're having this year in IndyCar, and I'm going to go with Scott Dixon uh, winning on Saturday, uh, I think, he dominated this race last year and I, I think he's going to dominate this one again. Um, I think he's uh, going to show, he's been a little bit quiet this, so so far this year and I think he's going to show uh, that he's still here and he's going to go out and dominate and win that race. And then I think in the second race, I'm, I'm going to go with Joseph Newgarden. Uh, he's also uh, still recovering from the first race accident finished second uh last week in st pete i think he goes out and gets his first victory of the year on sunday in the expel uh 375
0: can't go wrong with the top two guys from last year uh two dominant figures in um, um indycar series honestly uh i'll go and i mean you pick dixon and it would be something to go and pick, like, Alex Pillow or something like that. It go. It's not really a wild thing if I pick Alex Pillow after a couple weeks ago. But, you know, we'll see what they're able to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they don't have entry lists, but whatever. Uh, but I think for the IndyCar race on Saturday... It'll look like it'll be uh trying to think of it. I'm trying to think. I think Alexander Rossi finally stops the bleeding. Figure I'll go Alexander Rossi, not because of form, because obviously there is none right now. Uh, he's had a lot of problems there, but I think he'll go and win one of the races. And then in the other race, I'll go and say – Ganassi's won. Penske hasn't won uh, yet early in the season, so I figure a Penske car. I figure Joseph. I'll go Joseph Newgarden um, as well. So we'll see Joseph Newgarden probably finish last, but um, but either way, uh, that's my picks. So I'll go Rossi, or I'll swap them. I'll go Newgarden Saturday and Alexander Rossi on Sunday uh, to see it, and then they'll have a couple week break before the Indy Road Course. And uh, the month of May in general, for which will all lead up to the Indianapolis 500. Uh, the next thing we're talking about is uh, te- Kansas. Could almost called it Texas again. Uh, another dumpy track. Uh, they'll have a Cup race on Sunday and trucks on Saturday. Um, what do you think, in Josh, in regards to? A uh, winner in a dark forest reach.
1: For yeah, so f- I'll start out with the truck series first. Uh, you know, for th- this race, I mean, there's really two guys that you can basically pick and probably be right. And I'm gonna go with uh, John Hunter Mimichek And this, I, I think, he's uh, definitely shown that he can really dominate on um, the mile and a half tracks. We saw him at Las Vegas go out there and beat his owner, uh, which both of us I think didn't foresee. So think i'm going to go with him for for that on the winner and then i think uh for uh, a dark horse uh i'm going to go with uh rafael lizard I, I think he's uh had a lot of uh chances to you know win or not win but you know finish well in uh the mile and a half tracks and i think this is probably a, a track where you can definitely see him get maybe a, a top 10 or a top 15 at. So, uh, John Henry check and, uh, Raphael, this for, uh, Saturday. And then I think on Sunday, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, chase Elliott, um, just picking out of hat on this one um hasn't won yet and now it'd be a good time to win for Hendrick and uh, their ability to uh, get all their cars in the chase I mean they they have to uh, now that all three of their cars have won and I think for a, a dark horse I'm going to go with Tyler Reddick and you know, Tyler Reddick uh, has done well at some of the tracks. He's kind of done well at the mile and a half track at Las Vegas and at, uh, Homestead. And I think this is a a race where you can really utilize that high line, uh, not as much, but still it's there. It, uh, you can definitely run high. So, uh, I think tyler reddick you know if he can get you know something like a top 10 finish like that kind of like what he did at homestead uh that would be something you see from him so uh i mean i don't expect this race to be very exciting either of them but i think uh that's what will happen
0: yeah i agree with that kansas is not known for good racing and never has been uh for the trucks i'll i'll go with um I'll go with chalk. I'll go with Kyle Busch to be different. It just kind of is low hanging fruit there. Uh, Somebody to surprise possibly be a wild card to, to make something happen. Cause I'm looking through the field. I do have a full field this weekend. Um, I think it counts as a wild card, even though it probably shouldn't in a sense, you could, You can make a case one way or the other. I think Ross, the, the what do you call, nice motorsports trucks are basically garbage. So unless Ross Jastain drives one of them, and Ross Jastain's probably starting basically tailback, and, you know, it's an opportunity there. I mean, he needs a good run uh, for sure. He's had a struggle so far in the 42 car, and it kind of makes, you know, Larson look better every week that they go it's almost two it's a year now almost that they've been running this bad for the most for for the most part so there is that for the cup series um the winner who do I look at for the winner I said I think I said MTJ yesterday um I'll go with yeah, I'll go with MT. I'm not gonna change that. I'll just go with MTJ. And then in regards to a wild card pick, uh Brisco- that might be Briscoe's best starting spot outside. I don't even think he because they ran the duels. I don't remember where he finished in the duels. I'm gonna go with Chase Briscoe. He has a good vibes, a good mojo from Xfinity there. Um, albeit it's a much different racing package and a whole bit, but he's very very confident at this racetrack. Can Johnny Klausmeier actually bring him a good car? Um, he's not been known for doing that much since 2018 for anybody. And with bugger Ravitch, I don't know if he hasn't really known to bring a good car since a time since 2016, when Tony Stewart was, he was Tony Stewart's crew chief. So we'll see what the 10 and the 14 need to do in regards to, they're Chase. They need a win. So we'll see what Briscoe and Almarola and even Cold Custard may do there. But my picks are Martin Truex and Chase Briscoe. Then, with all of that covered, we can finish the show tonight regarding the upcoming NFL draft, uh, which will take place Thursday through. Uh, Saturday of uh, this coming weekend and uh, the biggest piece of news obviously is the first pick uh, there'll be uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars Josh's Jacksonville Jaguars we got the league back on they finally put the invites on Yahoo so we're all back in for the fantasy football league but for actual football purposes Josh has a reason to watch his team again so um Initial thoughts on knowing that this time tomorrow, Trevor Lawrence will officially be the franchise quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars and what else they may be doing with uh, their early picks here. I think they, they, it's a 25th pick you have as well in round one. So you have two ones, there's a couple, two, three teams that have multiple picks in this first round. And uh, you also have a lot of early draft capital. Uh, between Thursday and Friday. So, what is the game plan you would think for Old Urban Meyer to try and uh, build a winner immediately down in Duval? Well, it starts off with the first pick when
1: it goes da 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 da. And we hear Roger Goodell say, with the first pick of the 2021 NFL draft, the Jacksonville Jaguars select Trevor Lawrence and we hear that, then it'll go quarterback. And then after that, uh, I, it, it's going to be a tough decision. I mean, at 25, we have a, a chance maybe to get defensive tackle. That's a couple of the mock drafts that I've seen, the uh, defensive tackle out of Alabama. Uh, that might be a good pick. Maybe they go linebacker. I don't really think they need a linebacker, but maybe they do that, or maybe edge rusher, something like that. But I think maybe at uh, the second round, uh, they definitely need to get uh, a tight end. Uh, I've heard Tommy Tremble from uh, Notre Dame. Uh, what a name! Uh, it almost sounds like a fake name to me, but uh, nonetheless, he is a player in the in the draft. But it definitely uh, that's one of the names that I've heard in the second round, maybe at pick 45, uh, and then at 33. I mean, I I don't know. It's a, again, maybe they go with a running back. Maybe somebody like uh Kadarius Tony if he falls out of the first round. Maybe they get him at 25. I don't know. But uh I think they've got to focus on the positions that they need to focus on are defensive tackle, uh tight end, maybe safety. And uh, I, I'm gonna go with uh I mean, I mean, as I already said tight end, maybe a, a running back depth, I think, in the, the first uh, you know, after the Trevor Lawrence pick, the 25 and then second round two picks there and then probably the third round as well as what, what they probably need to focus on, but. I mean, the, the main focus is going to be, can uh, Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer, you know, take the Jacksonville Jaguars from the a, a 35-105 record the last eight years, uh, including playoffs to um, be a winning program and uh, bring a winning culture. And, you know, I think that brings us into the the next topic of, of the the draft is, you know, the importance of having a, a true franchise quarterback. And, you know, over the years, you know, we had Mark Brunell. you um, it wasn't really that much of a, I mean, he, he uh, led a lot of the early playoff runs, you know, the uh, playoff run in, in uh, 1996 against the Denver Broncos. And, and, you know, then then later on, you know, we have David Girard and his run and then, you know, Blake Bortles and then, you know, the excitement of the mustache and Gardner Minshew, but, you know, none of those guys were able to take us to the playoffs or, well, they did Bortles and Garrard, but they, they weren't able to get us Past the the big moment, you know, I I think the importance uh, of uh, the quarterback is you know having the confidence and and knowing that you know the QB in the second half doesn't have to be uh, managed or or um, have to be limited in his ability because you don't know if they're going to throw an interception or uh, throw an inaccurate pass. Yeah, you know that you can trust the quarterback to go and put the game on his back and go win, put the team on his back and go win the game. And I think for uh for trevor lawrence he's going to be able to do that um i i w- would like to see what he's going to do in pressure moments i mean i it hasn't really had a, a lot of adversity during his time at Clemson but n- nonetheless i mean i i think he's going to be able to prove why he's number one pick uh, starting this year and you know i think also just the the physical talent as well i mean he can really throw a deep ball and that's something he's been missing in jaguars offenses for you know a really really long time There's been a couple of throws that were really good you know over the years but um, for the most part it's been missing from the game of the jacksonville jaguars and just uh his ability to really throw deep if you know they can find a good tight end uh, to use that's going to be something really special and then you know if they can find a, a wide receiver to really take the top of, of a defense off I, I think that's gonna be something too and uh, it's something we haven't really had here in a long time but you know I, I i go back to when the jaguars lost the afc championship game you know it was fourth and 14 and they basically had one route that they did and it was Bortles to D.D. Westbrook, which fell incomplete, complete, swatted by uh, Stephon Gilmore there. But I think for for that, I, I mean, if we have Trevor Lawrence back there, uh, probably convert that or probably don't get in that situation in the first place and they're able to win the game. So it it gives us confidence that, you know, when they get into the playoffs, that they can go to the AFC championship game in uh, Kansas City or Los Angeles or wherever, and and they can go and uh, win that game and then go to the Super Bowl and win. So that's what I think is important of having a a true franchise quarterback and just being able to, you know, have the, the chance to have, you know, one of the best quarterbacks probably ever. Uh, I mean, it's a little early to say, but I I think that's what he's going to end up being and just the um, opportunities it has for winning uh, to build a fan base, you know, to build a following. I I think that's what, what that's all about.
0: Yeah. It's something to be said. You could go and, Uh, changed your whole entire franchise one way or the other. If you hit on the right thing, you know, Indianapolis famously uh, hit right with Peyton Manning and it saved a franchise. Uh, They were able to back into Andrew Luck and then that carried on for a few more years. Uh, You have examples, I read it somewhere, or last few days because of the nonsense that the Niners are doing right now or might do, that there's all these players or quarterbacks that have been drafted over. I think it's a probably Yahoo article. I think it was a Yahoo article that there's been like 80-something um, quarterbacks drafted in like the first round or top – yeah, something like in the first round. I think it's like 88, and like 16 of them actually turned out or some crap. Like, like it's some ridiculously bad number. So in, in essence, when you consider that there's a likelihood of five quarterbacks that are going to be drafted in this first round, there's going to be three for sure at the start of this draft with Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, or Zach Morris, depending on what you want to look at him as, because he does look like Zach Morris, my, one of my best friends, it's going to be his wedding here in a couple of days, insisted on singing the "Say by the Bell theme song every time to make a reference to Zach Wilson. And I'm probably going to take a chair and I'm going to nail him in the head when I see him on Friday. Um, But the – and then the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan murdering um, Jimmy Garoppolo so he could draft Mac Jones to make it seem like he has a clue what he's doing after blowing two Super Bowls and having three losing seasons out of four and basically threatening everybody with what we had for 20 years. I'm like, dude, at this point, the Niners were bad. They've been bad with you. They've been bad with every effing coach outside of Jim Harbaugh for the past, for nearly 20 years. It was, they ran Mariucci out the door. He was good. They shit the bed, came back good, and then ran him out the door for Dennis Erickson and Mike Nolan and God knows what other garbage. Singletary. Then, then it was Harbaugh. Then they got rid of Harbaugh for that regional baloney distributor who's a piece of shit and he doesn't, I don't know what he's doing, Tom Sula. And then they draft that necklace piece of crap, Chip. They get that, yeah, Chip Kelly after he flamed out in Philly and he destroyed the whole entire roster and made us into the freaking uh, the University of Tennessee or something. And then that was the the beginnings of the Shanny lynch partnership. And the guy who wants to talk about, he knows everything and he's this great guru in his infinite wisdom, decided that Brian Hoyer was was legitimate enough to be a starter. Um, nine losses later, and I think they were they went yeah nine losses later and a Jimmy Garoppolo trade happening. He cuts the freaking guy, and the guy goes right back to New England. Uh, for since he's been here in 2017, the quarterback room has had some sort of New England Patriots quarterback. First it was Brian Hoyer, now Jimmy G. It had. Uh CJ Beathard for the longest time, and then Nick Mullins. That's been their quarterback room. Of course, they cut CJ Beathard So you're basically saying that you you did you evaluated him and you're supposed to be this great guy, and he sucks. Um, okay. Jimmy Garoppolo, average quarterback at best, not a bad guy. Women like looking at him. He's banged out Kiara Mia, amongst other women. Uh George Kittle loves busting his balls and talking about his jawline. It's hilarious, but he can't make a clutch throw if his life depended on it and he can't stay on the field. So now Kyle Shannon's like, Well, I need a quarterback. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go and draft a guy from Alabama, which is not a quarterback powerhouse under any circumstance. To be completely frank, I think you, Josh, or I could go and throw behind that offensive line and with those running backs and that wide re- those wide receivers and tight ends, and we could be a freaking first-round draft pick. Uh, Nick Saban has built a football factory, but his football factory is based on, you know, the skill guys other than the quarterback, whether it's the running backs, the the wide receivers, the off. I mean, and then the, 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 the big uglies on front on both sides of the ball, and, of course, his defense which, I mean, he's a defensive guy, first and foremost. But can you uh, – I would like somebody to explain to me a quarterback that has come out of Alabama, whether it's with um, with Saban or before that, the last Alabama quarterback that was relevant. I'll, I'll wait on that. Um, I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll take uh, chances that there's nobody for 500 from whoever's going to end up posting Jeopardy next. Uh, that you you have Justin Fields out there who is one of the best young player run prospects he was the number one prospect in the country Georgia had him and they didn't decide to keep him Um, I've turned around on him you know I kind of had that feeling about Ohio State and how they have the same kind of issue but the difference they're just he has it you know he has a competitive spirit He has the athleticism and the tools and the potential, honestly, to be a game-changing type player. And at the end of the day, it's a quarterback position. You have to be a game-changer. You don't have to be a game-manager. The the, the, the league is going in the way of game-changers, and then you have the teams that don't have a clue or don't know what they want, they go to game-managers. The Niners have had game-managers. Kyle Shanahan thinks he can program a guy to play the position. I was thinking about this earlier. Andy Reid thought the same thing for be- nearly the better part of 20 years of his head coaching career. He had a moron in Donovan F. McNabb. They couldn't close the deal. Um, and Donovan McNabb's a dipshit anyways on top of it. Uh, he then had the likes. He's had all kinds of guys. Of course, Jeff Garcia was always going to be one of my favorite players ever. When I watched him in Canadian Football League, and he came to the Niners, played great hangs out Carmelo to Caesar for the rest of his life. So he's happy either way, even though Terrell Owens said he was gay, which is convenient. Um, Cause I've never seen Terrell Owens with a woman, but uh you know, like there there's people that, you know, you have these quarterbacks and they there there's guys that have a potential and you have Trey Lance out there. I've been the guy, I think I wanted Zach Wilson. And then of course, you know, the Jets are ahead of us anyway, and they might actually make a good decision for once uh, by getting Zach Wilson. Bob Sala and company are going to – LaFleur, that old bit, or McDaniel, whatever you have. LaFleur is going to end up having – Mike LaFleur is going to have uh, a nice quarterback to work with. But they don't, they still don't have any wide receivers, and they don't have a running back, so I, I wonder how the hell that's going to be. I guess they're going to be running the wing T. In, um, in in the Meadowlands here this year. And then you'll have Daniel Jones, who sucks, sucks out loud, so there'll be some great quarterback performing here this year. But if Zach Wilson went to the 49ers, forget it. Um, but I think in the same way, I think Trey Lance with a year behind a veteran quarterback because everyone's like, oh, he's barely played football. Well, you, you'd have a problem. If the guy had played a full season, they'd say, oh, he plays at North Dakota State. and I'm like, well, then you say, oh, that's the same place where uh, uh, Carson Wentz went. Uh, they'll they'll say that he's a small school guy, and you know, like he has all this athleticism and tools, but he's not ready yet. Of course, he isn't ready yet. But neither was Josh Allen when he was a rookie, and now he's the crown prince of Buffalo. And I see that. I see. I see the best parts of both Josh Allen and uh, Carson Wentz in Trey Lance. And personally, that's the pick to me. Um, I've been wrong on my, my evaluations over the years. Vic and I famously both thought that Brian Leaf was going to be better than Peyton. Um, we were dead wrong, of course. Um, we, were, he was, we were right. Um, he was better than Peyton in one aspect. About um, bankruptcies and Or two things Bankruptcies and jail sentences That That is definitely um, Something that that uh, Brian Leaf was better than uh, Peyton Manning Even though Peyton Manning did sexually assault Or sexually do something you know, Sexual assault to a woman And they tried to bury her entire career And his whole entire family But nobody talks about it Because he's Peyton Manning uh, But yeah I'm preparing myself for the worst I've already kind of started angling myself to where I, I asked professor J if I have to do tables spots or chair shots to become a part of the faith, the mafia. Um, I'm going to probably order a Josh Allen Jersey uh, tomorrow night at some point, if it goes the way I'm thinking it's going to go. Um, if it doesn't go the way it's going to, but I feel like it's going to go and they go with either Trey Lance or Justin Fields, I'll be ecstatic. Um, and I'll be very happy to see how Kyle Shanahan can go. And I, that's the point I was trying to make. I knew I deviated off of something with Jeff Garcia. So the point is, I said about uh, about freaking um, Andy Reid. All these years, he had game managers. You know, God bless Alex Smith. He just retired, whatever. Guys that were kind of. System, system system, quarterbacks, managers. Then he finally said, my legacy is I never won the big game. I've never won. Like, I get to the big game. I win a ton of games. I'm going to be a, a great coach. But I've never, I've never won the, the big one, and I've never gotten there with full strength or all that. I need somebody who's a game changer. And they traded up, and they got Patrick Mahomes when nobody in their right mind was thinking about Patrick Mahomes. The Chicago Bears had a chance to draft Patrick Holmes. And they traded up with the 49ers. They swap picks. They draft Mitchell Trubisky. He's Josh Allen's backup now in Buffalo. You know, the 49ers draft Solomon Thomas. He sucks. So the point is, that's a, that, those are the two and three picks in that draft that year. And then back at number 10, after Kansas City moved up, gave up a lot of capital, they got Patrick Holmes. Um, 12, the Texans picked the great quarterback uh, minus his obvious issue, massive issues he's having off the field. His actual playing ability is undeniable in Deshaun Watson. So you have that in Kansas city and, and, and uh, Andy Reid said, I need that kind of guy. And we know what's happened since. So does Kyle Shanahan keep on being, the conservative person that he's been for all these years, which is why they couldn't close the deal. And they've tried to lose every game against Seattle that they played or, and they lose to Arizona every game they play them. And you have Kyler Murray doing shit to them every single time. Do you go and get the guy that can compete there? Or do you go and get some guy that you could have gotten Brian Fitzpatrick or Teddy Bridgewater who just got traded today or, or Andy Dalton or insert stereotypical, um, freaking game manager is that what you want when you don't have a first round pick for two years gave up third round picks gave up a lot of capital you missed this pick the 49ers are not going to be relevant for like at least five years um and granted considering for basically the better part of the last 20 you know 25 i think they've been relevant for about seven uh under, I'm, I'm probably giving you too much there. I think it was like two. It? Yeah, because it's you know, like three and 97, 98, yeah, Three. And then you yeah, had two, to so five. Yeah, seven. Or actually, no, it was actually a little more like in the last 25 years. I think it's like 10 or 12 or 10. I think 10 is probably a number. So if Kyle Shanahan misses, he ain't no genius no more. If he really thinks that Mac Jones is the guy, God bless him. I'm not gonna be a part of it. Um, that I can't do it. I, I don't buy it. I don't like him. I don't like the fact that he has more more um he has a longer rest record than I do. I think he's a product of Alabama, the same way as Tua was and all these other quarterbacks. I I I think you could put one of those inbred insurrectionist morons back there, and they could probably go and go and win the Davy O'Brien Award. I mean, it's really. Um, I have more I have more respect for some player at a smaller school and actually having to make it work or going and actually performing and closing in big spots. I want closers. And there are other people are closers. Uh, maybe they can sucker the New England Patriots out of capital and get out of the three-pick and go and do something. Uh, I, uh, maybe that's what will happen. But after that, it's depth. Uh, they don't, Their roster is pretty full right now. They're going to have a hard time keeping everybody that they draft anyway. Um, they're probably looking at practice squad for a few of them. But you need to fulfill – you need to go and emphasize the depth uh, at tight end to make sure George Kittle – because he gets hurt all the time too. God bless him. He's my favorite player, but he gets hurt all the time. Maga boy gets hurt all the time. You need to solidify the defensive end because without him – they have no pass rush, literally no pass rush. D Ford is a waste of money and time. Solomon Thomas is a waste of money and time. They paid um, – I don't know who else they pay, whatever, sucks. Like it just – you need to freaking clean that up. And then the secondaries are generally a mess, especially at the cornerback position. Cornerback has been a killer for us for the last few years, has to be addressed. Um, The offensive line and the interior, you have a center now with Alex Mack. Yes, um, they McGlinchey's a turnstile, but he's a turnstile on the right side. It's another reason why I want to act a mobile quarterback because Mike McGlinchey's a turnstile and, you know, trying to solidify the guards. I think uh, we'll see what they do. I'm bracing myself for the worst, hoping for the best, and we'll definitely talk about it next week on the gsp uh before we go uh, you have anything to go out uh on josh you let us know where we can follow you on social media and where you can go and stream your races on i yeah
1: well first of all you know as always you can follow on twitter uh at jp and then these uh i-racing streams and gaming streams in general uh be on uh twitch.tv slash uclr2 I uh, go there, follow me and uh, watch all my racing and other games. Uh, I will drop this one little nugget. I guess this is a guess a, a bonus nugget here. Um, kind of a go back to the first topic we talked about with uh, IndyCar. But, you know, the fan experience there, uh, I mean, if if it weren't for COVID, I mean, would have been able to do a lot of more interaction, I guess, with uh, the drivers and stuff because, you know, the driver access there is pretty, pretty uh, nice compared to some of the other series. I mean, you really can go in there and just talk to anybody, I think. And, I mean, I was able to be within eyesight of uh, – the captain himself, uh, Roger Penske, I uh, was able to see him. I almost didn't recognize him. He was on the moped and I guess he was getting ready to cross because uh, like we we're all like right next to the paddock and trying to see all the drivers and see RP there just sitting on his moped trying to you know get through. And I, I didn't realize him. And I was like, wait a minute, that's Roger Penske. And I wasn't quick enough to get the camera out and get a, a picture of him uh, on his moped. But I saw him and that was cool. Um, saw Mario Jerry also on his moped leaving the race. Um, you know, we we're all just standing there again, just uh, you know trying to get pictures of the drivers and stuff. Um, I I was able to say good luck to Will Power uh, as he was walking to the grid because I was kind of in uh, getting trying to cross uh, that area and then. Uh, he was walking to the grid. He's one of the last drivers. And I was like, good luck, Will. And then he turned around and looked at me and I think he was like, what? <laughs> so yeah. that was a, uh, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, and then uh, I, I, me- I mentioned last week, I was going to try to get some gear. And I mean, I got a I got a team Penske shirt, uh, just a um,
0: gray one
1: that said uh, team Penske on it. Then I also got a die cast, which I'll show you here in a second
0: on the video, but it's Uh, The Dale Jr. IndyCar. Oh, there you go. You (laughs) had to. That's the third place finish. You got it. He's a one for one in his career. Uh, He has a podium in IndyCar. A great job by him. He avoided that big wreck in the uh, Michigan uh, sim race on the start and fuel saved like Scott Dixon got himself a podium. I got the small. I got the 64 of that one.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that was the highest selling freaking IndyCar diecast, too.
1: So yeah, I mean does, it'll be Jimmy tough. Johnson
0: this year. Oh God, yeah, because he has different pain schemes too with the whole Carvana yeah. deal. Can I mean people want to be mad about it? I'm like, be mad about it. The reality is he's bringing more attention to this series than anybody has in decades. And and activation by both Carvana and uh, the Legion and and some of these other people that he's involved with is outstanding. It's something IndyCar has needed for a long time. Yeah, they have great people in their PR. They for over the years, they've gone through tons of people in PR there. And for whatever reason, they can't get out of their own way in terms of promoting the sport. Um, You would think that Roger Penske being the legendary figure he is and knowing people and knowing things, you'd think they'd go and be able to do anything. They can't do that. I, I don't get it at all. But yeah, Jimmy Johnson's merch, like I'm looking at his merch. I'm like, I've never been a Jimmy Johnson guy until probably the last couple of years. Yeah, and now I'm like, I'm kind of thinking about getting like some Jimmy Johnson stuff. Like I got, I think I got 64s uh, of those cars and probably get you know, every one of those. And, you know, I, I respect him uh, to be 45 years old. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. And he's willing to humble him, himself out on the racetrack in front of everybody uh, and take take it on the chin. And he handles it with class. He handles it with grace. He behaves a hell of a lot better, like you are talking about earlier, than some of the other drivers. And he knows it's not going to be easy, And but he's positive. And he's somebody that really brings a good energy to a series that is a great series. If they presented it properly, it would be an even better series. And he just brings a good energy to the sport. And he's he feels, it looks like he's refreshed. It looks like he's more relaxed. He looks like he's actually having fun, even though he knows it's a struggle. He knows he's probably feels like crap at the end of the day, running bad. He's beating people, though. And, I, and the people that he's generally beating are the ones I figured he was going to beat anyway. So in its own right, I think that's all that really matters. He doesn't qualify last. He doesn't finish last. He beats certain drivers out there that really aren't that good. And in the end, it's progress. I mean, the Ganassi team's focused on the nine and to a, the lesser extent, the 10. Um, he's going to do just fine. I mean, he's not going to win anything, or he's not going to be elite, but he's progress for a series that definitely needs progress. Um, for me, you can follow me at Philip G. Matthew on Twitter, and you can follow us at Pod on Twitter, as in uh, philipgmatthew.com, on WordPress, and You can go and see um, those the shows uploaded there. You can also see where. Then here, well, the um, you can also find us on. um, You can find the Grip Strip podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Podbean, Pandora, and um, other places. A lot of places you can go find the Grip Strip podcast. Uh, we'll have a couple of them uploaded at once So you'll be able to take care of that and hold you over till next week where it'll be more racing talk. We'll see where um, on my mind is at after whatever the 49ers decide to do. And uh, Josh will be able to be happy. Um, and what else they add to Urban Meyer's first um, team in the NFL and how he's going to be able to handle – only 53-player roster, 55, or whatever the hell they're doing with the expanded schedule, and where we'll go from there. Uh, so for that, thanks, Josh, as always, for being my uh, right-hand man, my co-host, my friend, and um, stay safe, um, get vaccinated, wear a mask, You know, be smart, have common sense, so that it actually does end a sooner rather than later instead of perpetuating it. Some gone on long enough. We're getting close to the summer, spring and the summer really kicking off. It's so actually going hold up a little bit, not to like, say stay in the home, but be smart so that we can actually have a summer. We can actually go to races, we can go to baseball, go to whatever, and really have fun again. With that take care. And good night.